<laughs> what happened? <laughs> you know, we spent this whole offseason saying, of course the Giants aren't going to sign Carlos Correa. It was, first it was, of course the Giants aren't going to sign Aaron Judge. Then it was, of course the Giants aren't going to sign Carlos Correa. But they had to make us look stupid. That's my theory. They had to make us look stupid so they convinced us they were going to sign Carlos Correa before they didn't sign Carlos Correa. It is all about us. It is all about uh, them making us believe that they're going to sign someone before they don't sign him. Uh, And I personally don't care for it. I am also not a fan of this turn of events. The Giants uh, backed out of their deal with Carlos Correa. I know you've heard the news if you're listening and you're looking for some commiseration. Surely you do not listen to our podcast just for news. Um, the backed out of a 13-year, $350 million deal because of something they saw in the medical uh, exam. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, the Carlos Correa has moved on and is now going to be the third baseman for the New York Mets, pending a physical, uh, on a 12-year, $315 million deal. The Twins, when they were presented with the opportunity to revisit negotiations after um, the TikTok of the day is is kind of clear. We're only getting it from Scott Boris's side. But basically, Monday night, the night before Correa was supposed to be introduced to the to the press and go on a cable car tour of San Francisco, the Giants were like, uh, uh, we have an issue. We need to run some more tests or we might want to revisit this. And Boris is like, do what you need to do. Correa uh, had taken the test on Monday uh, and Giants were reviewing them Monday night. Uh, Boris said, okay, take a look. And then the next day, uh, or then the Giants said, we're going to cancel the press conference. That's how concerned we are. And then around, uh, what, 1130, 1.30 that afternoon on yesterday, Tuesday, um, Boris is like, hey, what's going on here? Um, I, think, I, I think you've got enough time to figure out what you want to do here. Um, otherwise... Can we, can I just move on and negotiate? And the Giants, according to Boris, just said, fine. One of those teams that Boris went back to were the Twins saying, here's your chance. And the Twins did apparently, according to, I think it's the Athletics Roundtable. There's been multiple articles now coming out drip drab through the day. Andy McCullough, Ken Rosenthal, and some more people. Yeah, so it was in in Rosenthal had an article in the Athletic. The inside Carlos Correa's stunning... Pivot from Giants to Mets. Yeah, so the Twins had seen his medicals. They had him for a year. They knew what they were getting with, uh, getting into bed with, and they offered him ten years, two hundred eighty-five million. And when given the chance to do it to up the offer, they're like, "No, we're good." Um, and then that's what allowed Boris to go straight to Steve Cohen and finish the deal. That's where we should start ownership. A deal this size was always going to be an ownership uh, level involvement. They're going to be involved in the terms. Susan Slessler has seemed to evolve into the West Coast version of John Heyman, where she's speaking. She seems to have a lot of contact with Scott Boris these days. Because on Monday, there was an article in the Chronicle, or was it actually Tuesday morning, um, that was talking about how Greg Johnson, the, um, the Giants managing general partner, son of Charles Johnson, the principal shareholder, was instrumental in the negotiations. And he was the one that brought it across the finish line. And um, I'm just so mad. (laughs) 
<laughs> but all the I, at first I thought it was sort of like I had interpreted it as PR by the Giants saying, hey, look what we're doing. But now that you read it, it's like, oh, it's all Boris. He's the only one being quoted here. So this is a piece that the that the Chronicle is running because they're, they're getting nothing from the Giants side. The Giants had agreed in principle to a deal a week ago and nothing had to really happen. So either the night before or the day of Boris is trying to lock it in and make it look good as part of the PR. Um, and as all these details of the day have come out, I'm, I'm kind of landing on on it's the ownership. But uh, Doug, where were you last night when you heard the news that Carlos Correa was going to be a Met? Uh, I got up. So I did not hear it last night. Uh, I get up very early for work and I got up this morning at about three twenty. uh, you know, five minutes later, I'm eating breakfast and I open up Twitter and I think it's just the first tweet I see like from, from somebody retweets it from a Mets beat writer, you know, in a stunning turn, the Mets have signed Carlos Correa to a 12 year, $315 million deal. And I just look at it and it's like, this is real. This is true. And I just look at it and I'm like, ah, should I call in? Should I just go back to bed? I, what? I have to, I have to go work for, for 10 hours today after this. Now it yeah. sucks. Yeah. I did, I did not have a good day. <laughs> Me neither. And that's because I didn't get much sleep last night. I was at a Christmas party, um, like out at a place. Like I went out in the public. I sat outdoors, but still I was in public. And so when I got home, I was actually buzzed. And so uh, it's it's like as I got home, I saw this on Twitter and um, and and probably didn't take enough time to write about it. But uh, if uh, my level of cynicism is so high that it surprises me when the cynicism wall is breached. And this is one of those times where the Giants managed to breach it. I was drunk uh, on the 2021 NLDS. So Wilmer Flores, check swing, all that, you know, if I was sober, I would have thought they had been robbed, but I thought the Giants were going to lose that series so much that I did not watch any of those games. sober. So for me, not that big of a deal. Um, and then with Aaron judge, I never expected them to sign him, the Giants to land him. So I was really thinking it's probably like 2016 against the Cubs, that that's the last time I felt this way about the Giants. <laughs> Where I'm like, so like, I, I really don't know. I don't know what to like narrow in on a feeling. It kind of, it just disorients you. I mean, we, we've done two emergency <laughs> Croncasts and the last time out, I'm like, this is the perfect move for the giants. You know, it's like, I thought we had all after uh, several years now of this regime, not necessarily figure them out, but like come to an understanding of what's going on here. And so to see that it's a medical thing that cheeses the deal at the literally the last hour. And I want to talk about that very much. Um, it was, it was just it, like the bottom fell out. Uh, I, yeah. It's been, it's been a, it's been a rough day. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's like, cause to me, there's a part of this where it was like, yes, even though I understand this is the perfect move and the giants maybe knew all the health risks going in. They have Pete Patella who's there. He, he, Grant Brisby, Gris, <laughs> Grant Brisby mentioned that Patillo could probably draw. He said, draw Correa's medicals from memory. Very funny. Um, 
but it, so the idea that then when they finally get to examine him with their doctors, they would find something. It just surprised me, but there was still that part of me that thought, ah, oh, but I could still see their process, wink, wink, asterisk, process dot exe or dot, it's probably a batch file, right? Dot batch. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, throwing a flag on it. But um, so it, it really sent me in, into a weird spiral where it really kind of solidified for me that like, okay, we are, the process is another character in the story. So we should be talking to the process and asking it questions <laughs> instead of just letting it decide, dictate things to us. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the <laughs> things are being dictated to us, right? <laughs> like so many things in life. Uh, it feels very much here like um, the giant's ownership is dictating a certain degree of risk that they have, irrespective of the baseball operations people. Doug, I want to read you one thing real quick, because I, th- I think this is what's going to kick us off into the anger. Uh, Henry Shulman on post said, my brilliant Carlos Correa car analogy. I won't read the whole thing. He basically says someone is selling a used cost, a used custom built high performance sports car for $150,000, a lot of money, but it seems like a good buy because it goes really fast and has relatively low miles. And then basically two potential buyers emerge. Buyer one goes, Hey, that's great. But, uh, uh, it says here in the history that the, there was a damaged chassis. And I know from experience, that's going to be a significant repair. So I'm not into it. The other buyer says, I love the car. It might not be uh, around for me in five years, but I'm going to enjoy it and get a great use out of it right now. So which person is wrong? Uh, Shulman asks, neither. It's just two different views on a very expensive potential purchase. I'm bringing this up because I think this is going to be a thing I've seen in the comments of McCovey Chronicles where it's like, good, it's $350 million. Who needs them? It's He's not a car. This is nothing to do with the car. This is nothing to do with even one person. There's so many knock-on effects to this that it's it's in it's wild that people are putting on blinders to to wipe out. Like I'm pissed, and you sounded more pissed than I did when we logged when we logged in here. And it's what are the knock-on effects? How are they going to be perceived by other players? How are they going to be perceived by their own players that they already have? Um, I, I mean, the Giants have had a hard enough time attracting top free, top free agents of the last few years. By the way, when we talked about them, whenever that was, totally forgot about Zach Granke, who also spurned them uh, when it was supposed to be between the Giants and, and Dodgers. He spurned them and went to the Diamondbacks. For, totally forgot about him. Um, but it's so hard for them to get one of the best players in the game to come here and like treat them seriously. You know, maybe judge took them seriously. Maybe he didn't. We don't really know. Uh, but Carlos Correa took him seriously. Carlos Correa is one of the best players in the game. He was willing to come to the giants just for money. And they're like, eh, no, just, just no. Uh, and so not only would I not trust them for anything other than upping another team's offer. Now, if I was a top free agent, uh, you think that's over? That's that's redoubling itself. Shohei Otani is absolutely going to come to San Francisco, gush about the ballpark, say, "Oh, of course I could hit. Uh, of course I could hit forty homers here. I absolutely love it here. It's a great park." Dodgers, and then he'll go sign with the Dodgers. Uh, yeah. But he's not. No one's going to take the Giants seriously. Uh, players aren't. The players on the Giants aren't. We'll get to that in a minute. And the fans won't take them seriously either. There is nothing to watch on this team. 
I, there's nothing to get excited about. I mean, Logan Webb's good. Camilo Duvall's good. Great. That's it. That's all they have that's really worth your time and money. So what's the point? You know, and they they went out there and they said, here's a shiny toy. Here's something for you to like and look forward to and be excited about. And they said, never mind. We don't feel like it. And you know what? That is not something that anyone forgives inside a clubhouse, outside a clubhouse. And they shouldn't. Uh, and by the way, inside the clubhouse, they were mad about how this whole thing was handled. So I saw the quote that uh, Alex Pavlovich said straight out, uh, quote, there's a lot of upset, upset players. Crawford, that he just said he, was not in the loop and was told afterwards, hey, you are switching positions. The Giants have not done a great job communicating their players this offseason. I'll say that flatly. I've talked to players. I think there is some confusion. And for Crawford, probably, he's probably at the top of that list. The Giants are just making a mess of this situation in every way possible, and they never had to. All they had to do was sign a player to a deal that they'd already signed him to. And I think that's the, the you just brought up, like you really elevated a part of this that is really easy to overlook um, because I think people are going to get locked in on like, oh, it's Carlos Correa, whatever, $350 million for whatever. And they're just going to focus on that number, but they're not going to, uh, there's a toll in that and in, in what's happened. Uh, uh, I would, I would agree with if they had agreed to the deal on Tuesday and like Wednesday or Thursday, they're like, ah, we looked at the medicals and it fell apart then. I think that's a different issue than literally the morning of the press conference where the guy's already here. He, they've already made arrangements. Um, it's interesting that this is like running right into the Christmas holiday to sort of absorb, to diffuse the tension, right? You know, cause people now are going to transition from their work and their entertainment, their hobbies and focus on family for a few days. Will people get back to being as angry afterward after the next week? I mean, they're not going to say very much, I would imagine. So that might help them not stick their foot in their mouth. But what you're pointing out is, so I started with like the toll industry wide and you highlighted that, but the giants said that they are uh, trying to improve their communication with their own players. They're trying, you know, Gabe Kapler is his whole purpose is to communicate. The giants have 90 coaches for communication. So, on an ownership level, if they're cheesing deals, which I, I keep saying we're going to get to that, but that's going to be the next point. That's one issue. But if let's say Farhan Zaidi had this decision taken out of his hands, which could be likely, what is going on at this level at the player, the things that they absolutely can control? It's it's also kind of one thing as well to not tell Brandon Crawford until the very last minute until they have an agreement. But at the same time, at the same time, how well do you actually know or care about the 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 thinking of your clubhouse or your players? Um, it's you know it's enough to call into question, right? You can see the reasoning, the wisdom, the logic behind waiting. But there's also you could make the same reasoning, logic argument of like, why don't you just bring him into the fold and let him know what's going on? And I think that's what you just pointed out. With Pavlovich, Pavlovich has pointed out is that we are dealing with tiers of. Um, sovereignty you know the players the clubhouse gabe kapler that's sort of its own thing but kapler is also connected to the middle tier which is the front office which controls the one beneath it and then of course above that is the ownership group which really gives the middle tier its marching orders and it, it goes down from there but all these are not, it's not a collaboration it really is top down and and baseball ops 
not being interested in what their own players, basically their, their statistical meat puppets are, are like what they think are feeling all this is really concerning because now what's the actual edge that the giants have? Um, if it's yeah. not personality and it's, and it's barely math, people can catch up to math, but what about relationships? Yeah. I, I don't know what the long-term strategy is, is here on any level. I mean, this team is they're They're from the outset. They look worse in 2023 than they were in 2022 and they weren't good enough in 2022. So, I mean, you know, they signed two pitchers They're Manaya and, and, I don't care. Stripling. I almost forgot his name. Did not care that much. Uh, Manai and Stripling are not going to replace the contribution of Carlos Rodon, who could have won the Cy Young last year. Uh, so, I mean, the short term is worse. The long term now, suddenly you don't have that franchise player that you could have had. That's worse. The, the relationships, like, like you just said, between management and the players and the clubhouse, worse. Perception in the industry, worse. Everything is worse. So where are they going other than down to becoming the next Baltimore Orioles? And that's where we can now transition into what it seems like. And we'll probably not know if we know, we may not know right away, but all those stranger things have happened that it really does indicate or suggest that ownership is the one who killed the deal. And, and why would that be the case if Greg Johnson representative of the group um, I think it's important to remember, like the Giants are not owned by Steve, like a one, it's not a one man show, Steve Cohen. It's like, what y- you've, you've documented this on giantsdug.substack.com. There's like 20 or 30 people, right? Principal people. Buster Posey's now one of them. Yeah, um, it's, it's something like 30. Okay. And just to tie back someone in the Covey Chronicles comments, they kind of copy pasted saying like, wow, this is reverberating even to this day mentioned uh, Bill Newcomb and Peter McGowan as two previous uh, like Rob Dean control guy representative of ownership uh, on the ground. And then the Larry bear of his time. Um, And basically what their intention was, was to make the giants there. They they were very concerned with the baseball part of the operation because their belief was like, well, if we're good at the product we're actually selling, then we will, we will make more money in the long term. And the pushback they seemed to re- receive, which was couched in that these guys were being like mavericks and and freebase. It was like, we don't mind that they're spending money uh, signing big contracts, but we just need to be kept in the loop. Um, and here they were kept in the loop. But it, it ultimately comes down to the ownership groups. You're trying to deal with 30 people's preferences. Um, and so Farhan Zaidi and Pipatella might have gone into the, uh, Boris thing they might have okayed like this is a player we want to go after you know this is a figure we think is fair whatever greg johnson could have been acting on their behalf or just said this is what i want to do they could have agreed with it and then it didn't have to just be charles johnson it could have been other people in the group saying we're not going to do this because i'm not willing to accept right now that zaidi and even greg johnson would be willing or and as much as i don't like the guy larry bear i don't think they'd be that willing to put themselves in this position i do think the people who don't have to face the public who aren't there dealing with office personnel players on a daily basis i don't think they give a shit i think they're they're protecting no, they, they're looking out for their money so they don't give a shit um yeah i mean Charles Johnson has no reason to care about anything. He has proven time and time again. He does not give one single solitary f*** what anyone thinks. He's going to do whatever he wants. 
if he wants more money to, you know, give to Lauren Boebert, not even for a re-election, just as a gift, um, then he'll take it. I mean, he's not the only one, though. Like like you said, there are... Everyone else is is basically anonymous. So that's one of the things that I've been trying to look at. And I guess I'll get back to it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they have they have an owner named Scott Seligman, um, who is pretty rich. Uh, so like he also had some legal problems last year. Uh, he made a lot of money uh, on a criminal loan program that like preyed on all sorts of people on they uh i don't know if it preyed on people so it their his company submitted bad mortgage loans uh like fraudulent ones and then they got bonuses based off it uh and it was like more than a hundred million dollars in commissions for these these fraudulent loans and he's like from the reporting i've seen he is he probably knew about it and was part of it and will never face any consequences for it but you know he's an asshole he's just a huge asshole who owns part of the giants no one ever talks about him because charles johnson is there taking up all the headlines uh so i mean what's it, what's it matter like what's it matter to any of these people yeah and it's it yeah it, i think part of the reason why people get a, upset or have existential despair here is you do start to realize how much of my life have I committed to, to caring about this? You know, it doesn't even have to be a part of your day, but just the fact that you include it in something in your life and you run into the situation that calls into question a lot of that. It's, it's not a move. And this is the point I do desperately want to convey to people, even the snooty above it all. They never feel anything. Players are just discrete event generators to plug into a model. Like, I'm just trying to get across like the emotions are part of the human experience. They are something that have to be dealt with. They they are just a part of existence. You can't quantify it always. And sometimes you can, but to deny it at all as part of this, like the, the fact that people care, that's what it is. And and it's like, they care. And, and now we have a, a battle between people who care about the team and people who care about the money they make from the team. And obviously the people who care about the team are always going to lose that battle because the people who make money from the team, they have more power. They just, it's as simple as that. So, I mean, you talked about Bill Newcomb before and Peter McGowan. So when I remember about McGowan being basically forced out is that the team was stagnant and ownership didn't like that that much. So that could have been baseball related, but then Newcomb came in and the team was much better and he was investing in it. And that's what they hated because they won that first World Series under Bill Newcomb. So this this part of the ownership group has always been there, like waiting, just absolutely like gritting their teeth every time they have to cut a check. Uh, and now they are just they they someone over there just put their foot down and said no. Yeah, and that, so now I want to uh, I want to get into what the Giants do after this, but you know I think this kind of pushes to the forefront the this idea of. I mean, look, listen, I'm not in the I'm not interested in defending the front office. I'm really not, because there's a part of me that thinks far anxiety should be able to make a stronger case at this point, because I'm not in my mind. I'm not seeing I'm not seeing how he's not able to sell. It's not three hundred and fifty million dollars. It's twenty six million dollars a year. And all there's the only way they would kill this is if they're stuck on that three fifty figure. 
and and they don't want to be tied to that. And it could have to do with Barry Zito. It could have to do with Johnny Cueto or just or this is where I'm going to start bleeding in some of my experience um, or <laughs> all this isn't my experience just yet. Does anyone remember the uh, Iron Man Captain America Civil War negotiations where Ike Perlmutter, who was running Marvel uh, at the time, Marvel Studios, not Kevin Feige. And they were like, we want to put Robert Downey Jr. in the new Captain America movie. And we think that synergy will take movies that make a billion dollars and it'll push it way over that. And it'll be a big success. And all Robert Downey Jr. is asking for is no profit participation, but $40 million, which is his rate. And then <laughs> Ike Perlmutter, this old guy who's been just collecting checks off of this property that he bought. You know, he says, I'm not going to pay an actor $40 million for a picture. And what did Disney do? They can the MFR. They just they just figure out a way to get rid of him and put Kevin Feige in, uh, in there because they realize they'll make more money doing this. But what you basically have is a team of is you have a group of Ike Perlmutters looking at a number that they don't understand and ignoring all of the of the downwind downstream effects of that. And I guess to roll it back into far anxiety, I was I'm being both half critical Dude, you, you said you're a terrible salesman. This is not a good time for that. But also, if he's put in this position, let's say he was put in this position where he had to kill the deal, which is not disallowing the possibility that he could have been the one trying to kill it. We don't know. We don't quite know. But let's just assume that it is like, we're going to do this deal. And uh, oh, now the owners want to kill it. So how do I kill it at the end here? Um, why would he stick around? No, that's that's what I have been thinking about for a while today uh for a while today because you know it feels like this this day is taking (laughs) forever um which is that if i'm farhan zaidi and i want to sign carlos correa and i have carlos correa on my team and i have carlos correa not only the player but carlos correa the symbol of the team's commitment to winning and then they take that away i go into whoever my boss's office is with greg johnson charles johnson whoever's saying no and i say you if you take this deal away i quit and i quit on the spot and you do your own damage control because you know what it's he cannot if this is being taken away from him, he cannot run this team he cannot make these decisions that he needs to make to make this team good so it makes a farce of this title yeah it makes a farce of the entire baseball operation why he signed up all that stuff his his selling point Again, I've said this before, you don't roll out of bed from where he was and you become like a top flight baseball executive unless you have a value proposition that's hard for someone else to match. He's saying, I can make you money by managing the team well. And so he's presenting a plan. Again, we're assuming, by the way, that he's not involved in this deal falling through, which is fair enough, but I'm still in the back of my mind, not entirely sure. It's 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 a it's bait and switch, and it is exactly your employers telling you they're making you the fall guy. That's what the ownership group is doing, and it it'd be hard to read it. You know what? It's it's not hard. It, it would be hard to not use that idea as your exit strategy, and to talk to people to feel like, well, uh, you know, things we didn't agree. He would have to say something professional. We disagreed philosophically. This is or that. But really, it would be hard for a, a normal person to not want to take that shot and say, I was told that, you know, this is what we agreed to when I took over. But when it came time to actually execute our agreement, they pulled out. That's what happened <laughs> in theory. What we've been told about Foreign Zaidi's setup with the team. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know how any part of this team recovers from this at all in the next year. Yeah. So, I mean, do people want to talk about what they should do next, where they go next, what's going to happen with this season and the roster and all that stuff. And look, I think there's, they still have a market they can play in there. There's always a Jock Peterson out there, a guy who's like, is this it? Is my career over? Or do I have to go play overseas and try to build back value or something? There's always a Darren Ruff. There's always a Jock. There's literally still Darren Ruff. They could just go trade back for him. (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) maybe the Mets to lower their uh, luxury tax penalty, they're paying, they're going to be paying like over a hundred million dollars just in a tax which, by the way, if you didn't know, that's just free money that goes into the revenue sharing pool. So the Mets are going to be paying basically other teams medical benefits that they pay to players, all that stuff. There's no rules on how the competitive balance, uh, the um, not competitive balance. What's it called? The the pool, the the, the share. No, oh, the shared income. Yeah. The yeah, their share. The right. the league shared. There's no rules on how they spend it. There's just like a vague, unenforceable rule of like it should go towards improving the baseball operation. So you know, it's like oh, it's going to be a lot of new rugs and and uh, furniture and a lot of front offices, <laughs> and people's health benefits are going to be covered by Steve Cohen and the Mets essentially. Uh, but again, maybe Mark Canna, maybe that makes Mark Canna expendable suddenly and the Giants could get him. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's just crap like that that could work out. I saw right before we started, Michael Conforto is apparently still on the Giants radar, which to me just goes, well, he's a Scott Boris client and it was Susan Slusser reporting that. So that's what really solidified the, oh, she's just talking to Scott Boris because she's like, she's been tweeting as well. Like I'm in London. So it's like, where are you getting your info then? <laughs> uh, and so, you know, Michael Conforto as a fit, I don't even really think he's a center fielder. I think he's more of a corner guy anyway. He's a left-handed hitter. He's coming off of a shoulder injury and shoulder surgery that that killed his entire, killed in large part his entire 2022 season. He also had a qualifying offer tagged him. I think people forget. Um, and then I think I've the other note I've seen is that player uh, fans are kind of, gasping because the giants would dare to back out of medicals back out on a deal because of medicals when they have Tommy LaStella, Mitch Haniger, Anthony DiSclefani, and now interest in Michael Conforto. And they signed Buster Posey to a long extension after his ankle ankle injury, all ankle or leg injuries, which is what Carlos Correa suffered when he was what, 18 or 19. And it's like, yeah, but except for Buster Posey, all these are short-term deals. That's the other way of looking at it. And this was a 13-year deal. Um, But that's where it also really feels like they had to find a reason to back out of this, Um, which I've done before, by the way. I was negotiating negotiating salary on a movie, and we got put in a weird spot under circumstances I can't talk about where we had to make an offer – to someone we didn't want. Um, and so the the hope was that we make a take it or leave it offer because if they don't want it, then, then we don't, we're not committed. And so that's kind of what happened here is that the giants were basically in a situation where they had to find a way to back out of this deal. And the only recourse they had was the medical. Um, the gambit didn't work by the way, in my case, but, but, but it was like we were legally backed into a corner of like, okay, so the only thing we can do is make the offer. And then if they don't accept our terms, now we're back into a negotiation and we'd be free to move on. But we had already, someone had made an offer for us. Um, I've also 
had to do something because of a corporate mandate that I didn't want to do and I thought was really stupid. And I did it in the most messy, bitchy way possible. Or I didn't consider enough of the implications before implementing it. And um, and so most of the blowback fell on me by accident. But I also just wanted to, it to be over and be done with it. Um, and that's why we're, I think that's part of, so to me, there's like a personal quality of this. I'm like, you know, I can kind of recognize the messiness and all this. <laughs> if the, if far anxiety did not want to do this and he's just going to release a two sentence statement, which we didn't read, but you can find online, um, I, that you're kind of just trying to wipe your hands of it as quickly as possible, knowing it's going to cause a problem, but you're doing it cause you don't really have a choice. And so I recognize that, um, how do you clean up the mess afterward? Well, I don't know. Cause then I got fired. <laughs> so you can't really, can't really do that. Uh, so, I mean, if hey, this, hey, it solved your problem. Yeah, it did. It, that's true too. You know, foreign anxiety is not going to lack for work in the baseball industry. So will he be a president of baseball operations somewhere else? I, I mean, I don't know, but I mean, it is, it is interesting to see what happens here. Um, but the giants, are in a tailspin and him leaving would further complicate things. I wrote that he is their Barry Bonds right now for better or worse. And they really can't afford to lose him. Um, Cause I don't even see any players they could get. I mentioned Conforto mentioned trade. They could trade for Brian Reynolds, but then I feel like they're right back where they are, where who's what's going to happen with the prospects. What's going to one player is not going to, you know, turn them around and any move they make. That's kind of on that level is going to feel sweaty. Right. It's just not gonna not yeah, gonna really measure a con- up a consolation prize. Like what you go, oh yeah, I mean Brian Reynolds is, is a good player, sure. But he's not Carlos Correa. I mean that's that's gonna be every anyone the Giants acquire. I mean, I, I don't know what marketing is gonna do this year. Like, hey, remember when you liked this team? Like, <laughs> well it's that, funny, they're looking maybe for that'll they're- be their slogan. They do have a posted position in their marketing department. Like I think the head of marketing. So they, it's a, it's a ghost town there. And I mean, to the point that people might have about attendance and all that, you know, it's great for the people who cover the team. No offense, Alex Pavlovich. I think he's great, you know, but always calling out attendance or is that Baggerly? It's always Baggerly who I also like. And I think it's great. I think it's more Pavlovich. Okay. But always calling out attendance. 2021. yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the reason why is because when you're a reporter and you're on the beat and you're there, well, writing about what you can see, I'm, that's just solid, normal journalism to me. But at the end of the day, the sick part about our, the world that we live in today is that so much value is extracted from intangible things. It's all like butts and seats and turnstile, you know, all that concessions. It doesn't really matter eyeballs watching i guess maybe but it's all uh it's all you know it's tv money it's uh what the other streams that are closed off to the players you know that the teams make whether they're licensing their brand or just owning property you know it's like which the team afforded them the chance to do is buy into property uh, it's just it's i think our minds will be blown how little at the end of the day the fans actually matter to the bottom line now we knew the fans' opinions don't actually register too much, but now the money doesn't even really uh, matter too much. I want to bring up one more thing. Unless you have players you think that they could potentially maybe dip into or that you'd uh, want to see. 
Let's see. So I, I do have a list here. It's uh, who gives a shit, uh, don't care, mm-hmm. and doesn't matter. I think I pronounced it, that right. It certainly doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so the other, so the other part about the money thing that I wanted to mention was um, I did notice that there. This was in the McCovey Chronicles comments. Great, great source of random news tidbits. But the city of San Francisco's got like a $700 million budget uh, shortfall coming up in their fiscal year. Why does that matter? I don't know. I mean, I don't want to give Fox news uh, any props or anything, not props, any sort of remotely positive information. But like if people are fleeing San Francisco, or should I say if San Francisco is becoming harder to live in, that does affect the giants attendance or bottom line. If not, if it's not people wanting to come to the city, it's people who just already live there. And I think I remember even Pavlovich saying the Giants used to get pre-pandemic a lot of walk-up business. Well, when you have fewer businesses in San Francisco now, fewer people living there. I mean, Twitter, how many people worked in that building, right? And Twitter is basically a ghost town or and the people who are left there can't leave. You know, they're, st- they're living there. Uh, it's just like where where are the people going to come from? Where's the interest going to come from? I don't think this was like an economic move born of that, but it is worth considering what the what the actual ratio of fans to you know, what the value is for having fans, not ratio, is to the Giants at this point in their model. Um, because this is an action backing out of this deal that guarantees you a negative response. It, you're going to get fewer people going to your games. So I, you know, that it's either a calculated risk or it's no calculation at all it's because it's not a risk. Um, maybe we'll find that out. It's Isn't it weird, Doug, that there are no leaks from the Giants? Yeah, I mean, the Giants have always run a tight ship when it comes to leaks. They have been pretty good about it. You would think they would want to get their side of it out there, like in some way. Uh, and they apparently don't. And like the only conclusion you can cut, the only conclusion you can come to from that, and it's probably a bad conclusion, is that their side is garbage. As their side is like, you know, these these two owners who together control forty eight percent of the team said no, we won't do it, and then uh, they got enough other people on their on their side that we can't do it anymore. Like I mean, that's that's the conclusion you have to come to, even though even if maybe it's wrong, maybe they are right about the medicals. Maybe they're like, well, this thing that happens when you're you know, when you're 17, uh, it always takes 12 years to really, to really hurt. But when it does, oh man, you can never play baseball again. But, yeah. yeah. In which case you would think that that would have um, still not led to think again, if you have Pete Patella there, he knows about this injury that happened when the, before the Astros drafted him. They knew about it. He knew about it. He, you know, Carlos Correa was their number one pick, right? Uh, this is not, there's no way they were unfamiliar with it. Now they're, they're going to say they can't talk about it and that's fine, but I'm, and this is, uh, we're getting second or third hand sourcing about this and, and maybe that's accurate. You know, I'm criticizing the Giants beat writers, but that's where we're getting that particular bit of information from. You know, it can it only leads to what you're saying. It only leads to this is from above because there's no way that the operational people didn't know about it, had a sense of what it would how it would impact his value down the line. And so this this just had to be um, people who don't pay attention, looking at a number and and saying absolutely not. It's it's really the only takeaway that that 
I can happen there. I mean, that doesn't mean the that only thing, it's the only thing that makes sense. I mean, that yes. doesn't mean that's what happened. But from the information we have, it is the only thing that makes sense. And it's repulsive. And so if we'll never know, which I think I can accept that we'll never really know what happened and people are going to want to just focus on that and move on. I don't think that it's worth, I think it's a as bad a decision to move on and just up oh, the giants didn't have Carlos Correa when the off season started and they don't have him when the season starts. So nothing changed and they're still in their rebuild and they just have to keep plucking away and, and maybe in three to four years they'll get there, which is certainly a valid point of view, but it forecloses, uh, any exploration of what else is going on here, which is as important as the X's and O's or the, or the numbers. And that is all the stuff we just talked about. You have a guy show up, you've scheduled a press conference. You scheduled this. That is a, that who, where did that screw up happen? Why did that screw up happen? You know, you, you have a poor communication with your own players. You know, you're evading the press. You're avoiding the press. You're not interested in getting your side out there. Fine. But, your players are in the dark and so you're comfortable that's the thing the baseball operations people are comfortable with the team looking like a bunch of jagoffs they're they're comfortable with looking like they opened a diaper before getting it to the trash can and the shit's all over them they're totally comfortable with that for some reason and that's worth exploring that's worth questioning doug my question to you is do you think any anyone's going to get the courage to pin them down and ask them these questions? Uh, maybe Kawakami will go in and ask one question and then they'll, they'll deflect and the rest of the reporters are like, well, I get, well, I guess it's not really worth asking anymore. You know, cause you know, you'll usually get like one guy who asks one question. It's, you know, 40% of what the question should be, but still pretty good. And then they, they don't answer it. And then everyone just kind of gives up. Um, but th- we're never going to get real answers and they're never going to feel the heat on this the way they should. Yeah. So let's answer a couple of questions that we got real quick. I did send out, um, a, a Twitter thing uh, real quick just to see if I could get any, any questions. <laughs> and, uh, the main thing is, um, do you, this is from Andrew Bader. Does that, is it, they're likely to be a sale. I'm just kind of, uh, generalizing his question here. Do you think that this all this heat and all this situation might compel a sale? Uh, no, because they're still going to make a ton of money because owning a baseball team is extremely profitable, especially when you don't fucking pay any fucking players to play for you. Yeah, there's a there's a part of me that thinks they are at their peak value. And I wonder if there would be a way for them to. I'm sure they're going to think about this, although they're all pretty old. Right. So their creative mindset is probably diminished. But I could certainly see a scenario some, I mean, where some, some of them are, but um, some of them aren't that old. I mean, because remember, they they've had some of that old guard die like uh, like Harmon and Sue Burns died about 10 years ago. Their their two daughters are now on the board. Their daughters aren't young, but they're probably in their you know 40s or 50s. So they've got a while to go. Um, and Buster Jed Posey is pretty <laughs> is pretty young. Buster Posey's pretty young. I mean, they have some youth in that ownership group. And, you know, when Charles Johnson dies, Greg Johnson will take his, you know, will take his shares. Maybe he'll split with the siblings. None of them are particularly old. You know, again, Greg Johnson probably in his fifties so that they could have a while to go. So there's nothing compelling them to sell. Um, 
especially as an ownership group. You know, Charles Schwab died. I don't know that there's a Schwab still on the board. I don't know what happened to his shares. I think uh, Charles Johnson probably bought bought some of them, but um, you know that doesn't mean they're gonna sell uh, at all. It just doesn't mean that. Yeah, I agree. I just think maybe that we are in kind of peak value territory right now. Although I'm not totally familiar with all the Mission Rock uh, ins and outs and where it is on its development. Seems like it's pretty well done to me. Um, but anyway, the other question. Um, this I'll just answer this one. Crudite Enjoyer Cyclic AMP twenty four on Twitter. What becomes of the broken hearted? <laughs> 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 well i mean there's certainly a contingent of fans who switch their hearts off when it comes to this stuff and they're gonna say just right what is it smart baseball decisions one after the other <laughs> was that what foreign right, exactly. says make good baseball yeah. decisions <laughs> one after the other uh yeah i think i think it's uh if nothing else this should just be a reframing for the fan base about what the team is you know, I I think after the world championships and all that, maybe we kind of thought, okay, now we're in the Yankees, Red Sox, you know, top of the league kind of sphere. And then once the Dodgers really started competing and being competitive, it was sort of like, well, you know, Giants aren't slouches. They have a lot of money. And, oh, 107 wins and we knocked them off. Maybe we can, if not in an arms race, we can kind of smart our way into, into being on their level in some way. And then I think this is me kind of negotiating just with my despair, but like, I don't even think they can be the Cardinals now because they've never shown uh, an ability uh, to consistently develop prospect talent, have prospect capital to either trade or pull from. Um, so they can't be the Cardinals and, and, but they're not as bad as the pirates, you know, not as despairing as that. Um, they're some version of the Red Sox, although the Red Sox seem to be really mismanaged all the way up and down. So I think at the end of the day, it's like I think everyone hoped that the Giants could be like a, a version of success that we all recognized. And I think we all just have to realize, like, this is who they are. Like, what is it, whatever that means, the Giants are the Giants. The Giants aren't like other teams. They are this. And that sucks. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> one of the things I think about sometimes is like, what would you say is like the no the most normal baseball team, right? Because like you look at you know the Yankees and Dodgers and Cardinals and they're too successful. You look at the the Pirates and Orioles and Royals or whatever, and they're they're too hapless, right? And I'm like, and the Giants are a little bit too rich to be a normal team, but they're also not quite success at the right level of success, you know. I'm like, I, I guess the Brewers, like the Brewers, seem like a kind of normal team. I think that's sort of that's sort of where I fall on it um, where they have, they have downs for a while and they're up and they're smart and they sell and they come back and I, the giants aren't even there. Honestly, like they, they had their success. It was so brief and then they're, they're just down again and you don't, you don't see any real hope for the future with them. No. no and and it, I wrote about this. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. a, I wrote about this. It was like, you know, I think there's, a, in my mind, this year and the next, even the next couple of years, the Giants could have been with Carlos Correa in the lineup, like the 2010 Giants, where it's like Buster Posey and some guys. Um, and then uh, over the next couple of years, then you'd start to develop more play, you know, more players would start to rise 
rise come in, you know, 2011 had Brandon Crawford and Brandon belt, you know, you know what I mean? Like you'd mix in a little bit more of your success over that time. And then you'd have someone as smart as far anxiety, who's able to find a lot of value on the margins. I can't take away from the guy. I mean, that last year's team 2022 should not have even won 81 games. They're pretty embarrassing. And I think we can admit 2021 was miraculous too, but born of a sound process that generated these results. Um, so I think that was my hope was that they could maybe, you know, excite their way into being something. But at the end of the day, it was always going to come down to, can they build a team on their own? And that remains to be seen. And it's to your point, they have a lot of money and how is it showing up? And right now <laughs> they can grab Mitch Haniger and uh, Ross Stripling. No problem. But um <laughs> Anything other than that, it's uh, TBD. I did like, so I, there was one more question from Andrew Bader again. Which Bay Area bridge is the best for contemplating one's place in the universe? <laughs> I I mean, that's such a good question. We got We got to add that in, right? That's fair. Well, the Golden Gate has an actual like walkway where you can actually do that. Um, that's or can true. you not walk on it anymore? Um, yeah. I, I think you can walk on okay. it. You right. can be able to walk on it. So my, my answer is uh, the San Mateo Bridge. And here's why. There is a very long stretch where you're on the San Mateo Bridge and you're basically just on the water. And you're just so insignificant. And if you drive into the water, you'll die and no one will notice. And what could be better for contemplating your place in the universe? Strong agree. I'm gonna, I think that's a great point <laughs> place there. Yeah, all the other ones remind seem to remind you you're on a bridge. Right. <laughs> the San Mateo one, you can feel like you're out at sea. That's perfect. That's that's great. So while we uh, walk into the ocean, uh, <laughs> happy holidays, happy new year. Um, and we'll be back next year to talk about, I don't know, Pete Patel's Giants. <laughs> What's going to happen? Yeah, what, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, instead, instead of closing how I've been closing, I'm just going to say no giants. No, no, no giants. Bad giants. No trade Very for you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. <sighs> <laughs>